This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as usual. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. And uh, yeah, I'm really starting to enjoy these. Uh, season previews because it's where I get to listen a little bit more than talk. And today we're going to be listening to Jonathan DeLong, uh, who is uh, the editor over at at the Hive, which is the Charlotte Hornets SB Nation site. So how are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah, so are we. We appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And I think the best way to start is just talk about last season a little bit. Um, 39 and 43 was the record you were looking at. It's obviously a young team, still a lot of guys that you're moving forward with. But how would you describe how last season went for Charlotte? A lot like the previous two seasons where it was like, this team shouldn't be this bad. I understand that they're not going to be good, but it's just like there was something missing all season. And it was basically the Kimball Walker show. And Every it would be like there'd be Kimball Walker and one other person would step up, but then someone else would completely lay an egg. So it just never really clicked until the very end of the season. And I think the general feeling for most of the season was that the Hornets have to make the playoffs and show that they're trending up for Kimball Walker to stay or to you know make a compelling case to make him stay. So uh, watching that last game against the Magic turn into a loss was kind of depressing because it's like ooh that might be uh, that might be the end of that. Yeah, tough, tough season for sure. I I wonder, the first thing I got to ask you about is, uh, as someone who covers the Hornets or as a fan or both, uh, what were your feelings on the, the whole Kemba Walker situation? Because obviously he's departed now to mm-hmm. the Celtics, but I'm talking more going back maybe to the trade deadline or even the trade deadline before that a year ago. Uh, how do you feel about the way that the Hornets handled the whole situation? It's hard to like. It's hard to say definitively, you know, because we don't know what they tried to do and what was available to them and stuff. Um, a lot of people think the Hornets, if they, you know, since he walked this summer, that they should have traded him sooner. I don't really agree with that, just because I understand the thinking of, you know, like we've had one good player here since the team's come, you know, in like the last ten years or so. Like we should probably try to keep him. Um, I would have liked to see them do something at the trade deadline, like we were supposed to have gotten Marcus All and something fell through at the very last moment or Toronto swooped in and topped the topped the offer. But I think the biggest issue is just the team never really did anything to surround him with. 
help, and I think that's the most frustrating. Like his best teammate here the last three years has been probably Jeremy Lamb or Dwight Howard chasing stats. Like that's not yeah. a good second banana for a playoff team, even in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and Jeremy Lamb was kind of the other guy I wanted to talk about because Kemba Walking, I mean, you kind of expected him to leave and Kemba Walking totally that was not intentional. Um <laughs> I mean, you di- you didn't expect him to leave, but at the same time, he's a superstar. He was the only guy there. So you kind of mm-hmm. understand. Jeremy yeah. Lamb, it felt like he would have a really big role if Kemba was gone. But I also know, you know, Lamb played with him in UConn. Maybe he was really close with Kemba and wanted an opportunity to be competitive. It, it was Lamb j- like almost just as big of a hit as Walker, just losing your second guy. I mean, that's just got to turn the knife even a little bit more, right? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's just like I don't know where Jeremy Lamb fits in the long term just because of like where he is at his career and where the rest of the team is. But yeah, it's one of those things where like even with as well as the team played down the stretch, it's like, oh, well, maybe the team can replicate it with Terry Rozier. I know we'll get to Terry Rozier later. But uh, Jeremy Lamb is also like he was the only other player that could actually like get a bucket if the Hornets needed it. So now he's gone and it's just like I have no idea where scoring is supposed to come from on this roster now. And like you said, it was a pretty big, it's a pretty big hit when your two best players both leave in the same offseason, and you already weren't that good to begin with. Yeah. Right, and I I've been thinking about it since we were preparing for this episode, mm-hmm. and I I really think that letting Jeremy Lamb go is almost in a way more egregious than letting Kemba go, just because it makes you know at least there's that line of logic with Kemba where it's like mm-hmm. hey. This guy is going to cost an absolute fortune. We just can't rationalize this cost. But Jeremy Lamb went to Indiana for just a little bit over three years, $30 million. That feels to me like it wasn't, you know, and, and maybe he just absolutely didn't want to be in Charlotte. I never heard that, though. So what was the situation there? And, and do, you, do you feel the same way about it? Yeah, I never, I think, or at least on the Hornet side of things, I never heard much about jeremy lamb going into this free agency he was kind of uh forgotten about in a sense because everybody was talking about kimba and like what's kimba gonna do is he gonna stay or go and then frank kaminsky the other player the hornets left everybody just kind of assumed he was out um so jeremy lamb just kind of his expiring contract just kind of flew under the radar i think it's more likely he comes back if kimba comes back um you know try to run it back for the playoffs again with the acquisition of Terry Rozier for as much money as I gave him, him and Jeremy Lamb, I feel like, are somewhat comparable players in terms of overall like ability level. And Jeremy Lamb got like barely over half of what Terry Rozier did. So yeah, I don't know exactly what the thought processes were for that. Yeah. And to go into Terry a little bit here, I was reading an article earlier today on the Athletic. Um, I believe Boone is how you pronounce the last name, Roderick yeah. Boone. Um, and he was talking about it was an interview with Mitch Kupchak saying that pretty much how we're viewing it is that Terry Rozier would have been a lottery talent this year. And we were lucky to be able to land that after losing Kimba. Yeah. Um, four year vet. Yeah. And he also mentioned about not wanting to be stuck in mediocrity and giving out contracts, but then was talking about this three year, $58 million to, to Rozier, who, to me, isn't even really that much of a point guard. Like he can't pass great. He's a scorer, but he's not even efficient. Um, mm-hmm. do you worry that that three years, practically 20 million annually does get you stuck kind of 
in the same place you were. I mean, your talent's worse around the team, but the Eastern Conference is pretty bad after you reach like that 5-6 seed. Mm-hmm. I don't think the contract will be prohibitive just because I don't think the Hornets will be good in time for it to matter. I don't think the Hornets are planning on being exceptionally good of a team in three years. So, But when when all this stuff happened, I wrote an article about since Kimba's gone, the Hornets need to show they've had a, they have a plan because they haven't really seemed to have a plan for the last several years. It's kind of been like a scramble to find a good player here and there if we can, and if not, try to make do with what we have. And Kimball Walker leaves. It's like, all right, you got to tear it down. You got to you got to acquire assets, build up through the draft, and you know, do like what the Nets did, what the Hawks are doing, all that stuff. And the first thing the Hornets do is give out a big contract <laughs> to a mediocre player. The way they're speaking sounds like a team that's ready to kind of start from scratch, but this the first move they've done after like with that opportunity is the opposite of that. So I'm hoping it's just like a a safe face or maybe honestly Terry Rozier might be good for like a stealth tank. Like he'll put up good numbers and look like a good player and look like a good pickup for the team while not actually helping the team win too much. If you know what I mean, just get a little win win on both sides of that where the team's not winning games, but there looks like they have a competent player to be excited about. I don't think that's worth $18 million a year or whatever it is, but I guess they have nothing better to do with that money right now. Yeah, fair enough. I do think that you made the point that I was going to make regarding Jeremy Lamb. And just, it feels like if you give that money to Lamb, I personally view him as a better player than Rozier. And it would have made sense to me to make that offer to him. But I mean, you know, like you're saying, I guess it's not too much of a opportunity cost if if you're not really competing right now. But I guess just to get a temperature check on where where the men, like where the mentality is of of the fan base i'm sure um you've got some experience with that if if i, oh, yeah. I you know sometimes uh sometimes people don't like to identify that, uh, themselves as fans even if they are but you can speak for yourself or speak on the behalf of the fans that you you know that are not covering the team but uh where is it at are people cuz you know being from in sacramento living mm-hmm. here Brennan and i know very well that there, there are some pretty despairing fan bases out there. Is it? How's the mood in Charlotte right now after after letting their top two players go? I think it depends on where you look, and I'll identify as a fan, you know, a, a fan first, and that's how I got to where I am, like you know, to the position to write about it. I think on Twitter, which is obvious, this is gonna be true most of the time. It's a little more. There's a little more despair. Um, there's a lot. I'm sure you guys have experienced this too, uh, where a lot of people are saying that Michael Jordan should sell the team over this whole yeah. Kimba situation, the way this offseason has gone, um, which is, I don't think, a very good idea at all. And people calling for boycotts and stuff like that. But that's always, I think, a part of a fan base of a team that's bad. I think more cooler heads, especially like in, the, in like our community on At The Hive and some other places I've seen, more, uh, people that have more clout as Hornets fans I guess you could say I think it's a seen as a good thing because the team actually has a direction to go in now like I said before instead of just kind of flailing around in mediocrity and hoping something catch lightning in a bottle now there's like an actual plan of like all right we're going to be bad and then we're going to do this and this and this and this at least I hope that's what it is and I think people are optimistic that the Hornets know what they're well I don't want to say that people aren't optimistic the Hornets know what they're doing because they've never proven that but I think people are at least have a plan to embrace in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And yeah, Sacramento is finally starting to get a little optimistic here. Um, <clears throat> you guys are starting over a little bit. I mean, I would say you're one of the worst <laughs> teams in the league. Just being real with you. <laughs> I like, I like how you're trying to. I'm uh, trying. That's me sugarcoating it. Before you got on, me and Rich were like, "Man, this team sucks. They're the worst team in the league." <laughs> it's really to bad. be honest. <laughs> like, I'm aware. it's a really bad roster. <laughs> so, but to look at some of the things you have moving forward, um, I think one of the most exciting pieces, and maybe it's because he's actually going to All Star Weekend, even if it's a dunk contest, is Miles Bridges. Um. I'm really curious about his game because, I mean, obviously there's the athleticism that helps a lot. I don't feel like he finished great through contact last year, but I think that could become a strength. The shooting looked like there was potential there. What do you hope from him going into next season? So I love Miles Bridges. Like I, He was the guy that I was like, the Hornets need to draft this guy when he came out of Michigan State. Um, and like you said, he, he's... He has all the potential in the world. It's just one of those things where he shows a little bit of everything, and he just needs to put it all together consistently. Like he can guard. He's obviously extremely athletic. He can shoot. His his shot is good. It's streaky, but like you can tell that it's there. He's got the touch, and he shows these these flashes of incredible like acrobatic finishes, even when he's not dunking. It's just he doesn't quite know how to use like change speeds and stuff with the ball. So if he kind of learns, it basically all comes down to his ball handling and finishing in traffic. And if he can kind of improve on that just a little bit, he can be, I don't want to go like all-star and be like overly lofty, but I think he can be in that like fringe all-star category where he can, he's a two-way player that can do a little bit of everything. He's a really good passer for a power forward, which I don't think he gets credit for. Um, I don't know. I'm super excited to see what he does this year in an expanded role. I don't, I, know, I don't know if I answered your question that well. I just like I just kind of gush about him when I get the chance to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's understandable. He's definitely an electric player. Like, if for no other reason than the highlight reel stuff, uh, oh, yeah. you know, he's definitely putting on a show. He's the he's the kind of guy that you can sell tickets to go see him play. He's <laughs> the kind of guy that other teams will, you know, other fan bases will be, you know. Maybe they're not super excited to go see the Hornets, but uh, <laughs> when they're running down the list, it's like, who are you going to see the Kings play tonight? Oh, well, mm-hmm. we'll get to see Miles Bridges, you know, throw down some dunks or, you know, that sort of a thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, talking a little bit more about him and then I actually really wanted to touch on the pick uh, before him, the first rounder before him. I am very concerned that Malik Monk is a legitimate straight out bust. Can you... Same. Okay. Can you can you elaborate on that? <laughs> so I wanna also like to give some context, a lot of Hornets fans are still hopeful for him because he's had I think four or five times in his career where he's had like fifteen point seventeen point quarters. Like he can explode like he did against UNC when he was at Kentucky. It's just the other like ninety five percent of the time he's a really, really bad basketball player. And I think people forget about that because of the talent, you know what I, like he's got a really good shot. He's got a really pretty shot he's super athletic but he's really really reckless with the ball um he turns it over a lot he plays no defense part of it seems like he's just not aware and part of it just seems effort related i don't know like i don't know if there's a lot of hope for him on that end and it's just no matter what kind of talent he has his decision making is really bad his decision making was really bad as a rookie his decision making was just as bad as a sophomore so it's you know he's not trending in the right direction by any means so i personally 
anything we get from Leek Monk going forward is a bonus to me. Um, I think a lot of people are still hopeful for him, and I think they'll be disappointed. What were your thoughts of him coming out? Like, because I know you guys have a Kentucky product over there too. His yeah. teammate. And well, I don't know if you guys, the the worry was obviously his size a little bit, and there's Lou William remnants, but Lou mm-hmm. William is borderline all star because he is such an outlier for that, and mm-hmm. like he he never really went into contact necessarily all too much, um, and it, it it was just like you said, there was a little bit worry of what are you gonna do besides be able to shot create and are mm-hmm. you actually gonna be able to do that at the NBA level? Like I think there was a lot of excitement because that Kentucky team was really good. It was mm-hmm. it was Fox, Adebayo, and Monk, I believe, were the three. Yeah. yeah. And there was like I mean Monk felt like the best scorer at the time, but it just it was one of those guys that he's able to dominate college players, but mm-hmm. he, he just doesn't have those same skills. Um, and you're not going to be able to do the same against the most elite athletes in the world yeah. that are playing in the NBA. Yeah, with him, it's like his his shot selections. I think it's, I'm trying to remember what I was about to say. His shot selections really bad, and it's he's one of those players at this point where I'm sure I don't know if you've had him before over there, where uh, if he makes his first shot, it's sometimes it's kind of a bad thing <laughs> because you know he's going to hunt for another shot as soon as he gets the ball again. And yeah. at times it's paid off for him because, like I said, he's had some explosive moments. But a lot of times, like he's had games where I swear he's gone like one for eight from three in like 12 minutes of play. Well, and now you got Terry Rozier to do the same thing. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. We have two <laughs> players to do that. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, it's uh I, I definitely worry a lot about Monk. I I think that he he's actually done pretty well when he gets to the bucket, finishing, mm-hmm. you know, he's been nice like you know, around the bucket, but it's the the long range stuff is just not there and the decision making stuff like you mentioned does not feel like it's going to come around, but mm-hmm. yeah, I I and then moving to the current uh, or the more the most recent first round pick, PJ Washington one one sort of criticism of this pick, and it's not I, I don't think that it's a bad pick, and obviously mm-hmm. it would be insane to to you know write the story on someone before they've ever played an NBA game. But one criticism I've heard is that the Hornets tend to go for prolific college players, sign it kind of like a name brand thing, or you know mm-hmm. from big schools that that win a lot of games, but maybe not the most upside and. That's the feeling I kind of get with PJ Washington, but uh, what are you, what are your feelings on him? Yeah, it, yeah, no, the Hornets have definitely um, had a trend of like ever since really since Rich Cho took over the previous general manager, it's been all other than Bismack Biombo. Every first round pick I think has been from like a Big Ten school or an ACC school or something like, or you know, Kentucky big school with like a storied past and they play, they produce well in college and it's not so much about the traits they have as an NBA player. 
Um, to answer your question, I like the PJ Washington pick because kind of like what I was saying before, it kind of shows a it shows a direction. The Hornets clearly value players that play offense and defense and pass well for their position, handle well for their position, can shoot. Um, they did that like Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels are similar. Miles Bridges is similar. Devontae Graham is similar. Um, the two picks from last year. So I like it in the sense that he fits the mold of the players the Hornets have clearly been targeting. Um, a lot of people wanted them to do the home run swing. Uh, we did like a community mock draft and Bull Bull was actually the person that Hornets fans voted for for the 12th pick, um, which which now looks like a real bad decision. Um, the other guy people wanted was Sekou Dumbia because players are always better when you haven't seen them play, you know, <laughs> potential, but the less they've played, the higher their potential is. So I don't, I don't fault them too much for taking the safe pick. Cause at this point we just, the Hornets need good players. Um, they'll yeah. get plenty of chances for home run swings in the next couple of years, picking in like the top five, six picks. Yeah. And I mean, there's not very many like crazy high upside guys that are necessarily left, uh, especially in this draft. I mean, it was pretty <laughs> top heavy and then it felt like a lot of chances at role players. Maybe there was a little bit of depth to it, but it fell <laughs> off a cliff pretty quick. Um, yeah. a guy that interests me that you actually left out, I think, when you were mentioning all these names, uh, is Dwayne Bacon. And looking at his numbers from first year to second, I mean, even just the percentages, 37.5% up 10% to 47.5%. The three-point percentage on less than one attempt first year, 25%. He goes up to two attempts next year, last year, and is at 43%. And the the points go up. Um, what are your feelings on the potential and the progression that you're seeing from Bacon a little bit here? So I'm going to kind of stick with the thing I've done where I kind of share my opinion and share you what the general feeling about a player is because there's a lot of variance to this. Hornets fans are super pumped about Dwayne Bacon. Um, he, like you said, he showed a big, he showed a lot of improvement from year one to year two. Um, he got lots of buckets in the first summer league game, which always gets people excited. <laughs> um, I'm not as excited about him. And I know the stats look good. It's he's, he's very similar to Malik Monk. Um, I even said it during their rookie years that Dwayne Bacon's shot selection makes Malik Monk look like Steve Nash. Like he shoots tons. He got away from it with the new coaching staff, but he likes to shoot mid-range jump shots. Um, he's just—I don't know—he's very, very score-heavy, and I don't really like, particularly like watching players like that. Like the coaching staff gave him a directive going into summer league to say. We need to see what you can do as a creator, see how you can create for others as a ball handler and stuff. And he went out their first game and took like 20-something shots, I think, and didn't pass at all. So I don't think it's in his nature to be a team <laughs> player. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think it's in his nature to be a ball mover or anything, which is fine. Teams need bucket getters, but I don't know if he's going to be a good enough bucket getter at the NBA level to make that his role, you know? He has a chance to be good. Like, he has the talent. It's, one of, he's, it's similar to Malik Monk, like I said. It's if he can use it right. That's the the question. I don't. I'm not very hopeful about it. Um, others are. So this year is going to tell a lot because he's going to get plenty of chances to shoot the team in and out of games. Yeah, I'm. I. Yeah, it's it's tough. <laughs> we're, we're we're going. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> we're like going through like the young core basically, yeah. right? And it's yeah. just like it's it's just it's still kind of rough. I. <laughs> Bacon, I think a lot of his stats got inflated by the end of the year 
it happens with a lot of teams that, you know, by the end of the year, there's a lot of teams that are tanking. And even if, even if the Hornets weren't tanking at the time, they ended up playing teams that are tanking and that aren't playing defense. And he, he went on a really nice run, you know, at least numbers wise, but it didn't feel real to me. He only played half the season uh, as well. The he latter. spent a lot of time in the G league and that sample size from the end of last season. Sorry to, if I, to interrupt. No, but like, that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 13 games or something at the end of the year where he played really well. And, you know, if you take away the three-point shooting, I know you can't just take it away, but there's a lot, there's variance with three-point shooting. If his three-point shooting isn't for real, like, what kind of player is he? Yeah. Um, also, yeah. Yeah. and we we saw a lot with Frank Kaminsky, where I think there's another element of at the end of the season with the Hornets, where they're pretty much out of the playoff hunt, and there's no pressure, and it's a lot different playing NBA games that don't matter than it is playing NBA games that do matter. And like we see that with Frank Kaminsky, where he would go catch fire when the games didn't count anymore. Really, basically, season would start and the games matter again, and he's not any good. And, I th- and there's, you know, there's a chance that it's the same with Dwayne Bacon, where, like you said, maybe not all the teams are trying anymore. There's no pressure on the team to play well. It's a different environment than going from game one to game 82. Right. Absolutely. And that's that's the thing. I mean, if you if you look at the totals instead of the percentages for his three point shot, it starts to get pretty bleak because you know, like we mentioned, like Brendan mentioned, uh, you know, he shot 25% last year. And then, you know, this year he did shoot very well from outside the arc, but it's on a total of about 80 shots. So Mm -hmm. it just doesn't, you know, you need a couple hundred threes to really know if a guy can shoot or not. Maybe he will. Maybe I'm too low on him. I actually, (laughs) I have a interesting connection with him because I wrote an article tra- uh, saying that the Kings should trade Scalabissier a while yeah. back. And it was like my most criticized, most heavily criticized article. People were out for blood because I suggested the Kings trade Scal. Yeah. And w- one of the, the one of the deals I had mocked up was just a straight up trade of Scal for Dwayne Bacon. But people didn't like that, apparently. I, uh, I prefer Scal- Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> was Scal like what I'm saying about Dwayne Bacon, where everybody's like, no, 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 he's going to be good. Just. I can see it, and you're like, I, and you just didn't see it. You can see the vision, and then, yeah. And I know he's gone now, right? Like you traded him to Portland, right? Yeah, for Swanigan. Yep. Yeah, for Swanigan, <laughs> who's also gone, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, well, yeah. He's technically, we technically are paying him, but he's essentially gone. Can I? Uh, this is an aside. He looked like he gained a lot of weight since college. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I had read that he was even heavier in high school, though. So I think he kind of fell back to his old ways. I guess would be a way to say it. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite quotes, it, this was just from the last uh, episode we had with Keith Smith, was him saying that uh, you you can't really tell who can play in Summer League, but you can tell who can't. And it was yeah. very clear Swanigan could not play. I just I just remember, because I remember when he was at Vanderbilt, it, he went to Vanderbilt, right? It's one of those black and gold right. schools. Or, yeah, I was going to uh, say Purdue. It's, yeah, it's one of those black and gold schools. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right, it is Vanderbilt. But uh, I remember hearing about that like oh he dropped so much weight and now he's gotten a lot better and then i was like oh good for him and i thought he was a good player coming out of college and then i hadn't heard from him until this past summer league i was like oh whoa that's that guy's yeah he's too goofy to be an nba player and and to go back to our first episode of the season previews um there was a guy omari spellman this was traded out of atlanta (laughs) and chris kirshner had mentioned to us that it was uh it was a conditioning and fitness thing where 
you know, the team went to him and said, this is, you know, being an NBA player is a full-time job. You got to take this seriously. You got to get in shape. And he wasn't doing it. And, it, you know, it feels like that may be a similar issue to what's going on with Swanigan, but I can't say for sure. And, you know, I, I know that like, also like Brennan mentioned, he was much heavier in high school. So if this is, you know, something that he's struggling with, I don't want to call it a lack of effort or something like that, but yeah. uh, just, it's just, you know, the NBA is really for elite athletes only and, and people that, you know, players that are willing to push themselves to the complete limit physically. And it doesn't feel like Swanigan's in that place yet, but perhaps they'll turn it around and, one other guy I wanted to mention as part of this sort of pseudo core, pseudo young core for the Hornets. Uh, I I actually kind of like Devontae Graham. Yes. Uh, one of the issues with him is that he's a he's a very old rookie. He was a very old rookie last year. I think he's already 24. Yeah, the Hornets uh, like that with second round picks apparently because Cody Martin is the same way. He's like, oh, is that right? Mm-hmm, Cody Martin's already like 24. Yeah, so so what's the deal there? What are you guys seeing there? I mean, I, obviously, the age makes you feel like there's not going to be a huge jump or as much as there mm-hmm. would be from a guy like Malik Monk, who the hopes were drafted at like 19, that there's going to be some big steps. But I feel like uh, Graham could be a rotation rotation guard one day. But would you agree with that? I do agree with that. It all comes down to if he can make three-pointers, which is, I think, the case for most players in the NBA at this point. He doesn't finish well or in traffic, and I don't think he ever will. He just doesn't have like the the bounce to do it and the, or the length or anything. But he's he's a really really good passer. Even last year, he was the best passer on the team straight out as straight as a rookie. Even better than Tony Parker, Kimball Walker, or anybody. Um, he's really good at finding players and like uh finding players and pick and roll. He's really good at like every, he can make any pass. Terrific passer, and he's showed a lot of confidence as a shooter in the summer league, which doesn't really mean much but if he can make threes i do think he's got he'll stick around in the league for a long because yeah. any team can use a backup point guard that can shoot threes and make plays for others i mean that's what we saw with fred van vliet for toronto yeah and kind of when i was going through your depth chart a little bit i mean am i right in thinking that you don't really have playmakers like like you said no. he probably is your best one. Oh, he's for sure the he's especially now with walker gone he's far and away the best passer on the team I mean, he was be- he's a better passer than Walker right now anyway. I mean, Walker's obviously the better player, but if you said we need somebody to go out there and drop dimes, Devontae Graham's better at that than anybody on this roster by a country mile. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I mean, the salary cap situation is not very pretty. That's why you guys weren't able to do much this offseason. Um, yeah. And that's part of why I feel like the Rosier thing happened was because you weren't going to be able to make anything else uh, mm-hmm. with any sort of available money or anything like that. But $105 million next year in Batum, Biombo, Williams, Zeller, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and Terry Rozier. It, does it kind of not matter, though, with the Biombo, Williams, MKG all expiring? Like, this is this is a tank year. I mean, does it does it really matter how much is locked up in that right now? Yeah, that's what I was saying, like, with the Terry Rozier. Like, the contract 
in a vacuum looks bad and is bad, but uh, it doesn't really matter in the context of the Hornets because they're going to be bad regardless of how much money they're spending on bad players. Um, so it's yeah, it's the same for all those other guys. No matter what they do, they're going to be bad. No matter how much they're paying them, they're going to be bad. Yeah. So they don't have anything better to do with the cap space. The only downside is they can't absorb players into it in trades. But you know, on the trade off is they can maybe use MKG or Biz or Williams as expiring contracts and trades. I don't know how coveted they'll be, but they're there. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, you don't want to keep handing out these contracts, but having them isn't as bad as it necessarily seems. No, I think people, like Nick Batum still gets a lot of flack for his contract, and people can't wait for him to be gone, but it's the same thing. It's only two years left on it. Like It's not a prohibitive deal at this point. Nothing on the team is prohibitive, because they're not there's nothing for them to be prohibited from. Right. I, I think that you've got a couple. I mean, so one, one question that we sometimes talk about and mm-hmm. is worth talking about for the Hornets is trying to project the starting five and, and maybe the next couple of guys on the mm-hmm. roster. It's tough with the Hornets. It's a little bit tough. But if yeah. you if you were to go through it and guess, you know, opening night, at least the, for the opening night uh, look for this team, uh, I feel like, you know, there's a few guys that, that are fairly obvious. What would you think would be the starting five? So I think, so Rozier and Cody Zeller are like 99.9%, 100% locks to be starters. If Cody Zeller doesn't get hurt before then. Um, I think Dwayne Bacon will probably start because he finishes a starter last year and Miles Bridges is going to start. So I think those are the four, those four are starting in some configuration. The fifth starting spot, I honestly have no idea. It could be any of Marvin Williams, Nick Batum, or Malik Monk. Yeah. Um, I, I think Malik Monk's the least likely because I don't think the, the coaching staff like speaks highly of him, but then they don't really seem to think highly of him. I think at the end of the season, the starting lineup was Cody, Cody Zeller, Marvin Williams, Miles Bridges, um, Dwayne Bacon, and Kimball Walker. If we swap out Kimball Walker for Terry Rozier, I think there's a decent chance that's the starting lineup this year. So Cody Zeller, Marvin Williams. Miles Bridges, uh, what did I say, Twain Bacon and Terry Rozier. And actually, Boone put out an article today also and had that same starting lineup. That was his projection. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I guess there's upside. We I think we talked on it before we went live. Like, it, it's fun to watch these at times. Like, the yeah. real fans are going to be the ones watching that this year. And, you know, a couple years down the line, when it's looking a little prettier, you'll be able to be like, do you remember the year that we had a starting lineup of Rozier, Bacon, Batum, Bridges, and Zeller? And Well, that's, yeah, that's what we already have when we have, I mean, we we were the worst team in the history of the NBA. <laughs> I forgot uh, about that. <laughs> like eight years, seven years ago? Eight so this ago. is an improvement, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen people say that this team is worse than that Bobcats team, and uh, that Bobcats team. I don't know if you've ever looked. I don't know why you would, but if you ever go look at that <laughs> roster and those stats, it is comically bad. I think like three of the top four scores on that team shot below forty percent from the field. The yeah. team's offensive rating was like ninety-five. I think uh, Derek Brown was the best player statistically in terms Jesus. of like real plus minus and stuff, and he didn't even play another game in the NBA after that season. Um, so it was, yeah, that was bad. And we get to reminisce about it. And like, we get to reminisce about Ghana Jop shooting a free throw 12 feet and stuff like that. I, this season will be better, but yeah, it's, they're fun. And then 
most of this team is likable. Like Marvin Williams is a great dude. He sounds he should probably do TV when he retires. Cody Zeller is hilarious. Miles Bridges is really cool. Like they're easy players to root for. You know, it's not a bunch yeah. of like misfits and miscreants and all that stuff, which helps. Yeah. Yeah, Marvin. I actually think Marvin is a solid like starter level guy. I mean, maybe we're talking yeah, low good. low end starter, but yeah, and it's only got one year left at fifteen million. Another guy that's kind of in that range is MKG. Uh, he's got one year left at thirteen million. Would you endorse a strategy of trying trying to trade those guys off for more draft capital? Yeah, I went through and I wrote a thing about this a couple weeks ago. And find teams that are have players with multiple years left and have players that have fallen out of the rotation. Like uh, Gorgie Chang in Minnesota is a good example where he's seems to be on the longest contract in the history of NBA. He's got two years left. And, you know, if he's not playing for Minnesota, which is likely they'll probably take Marvin Williams or MKG as like a, you know, a player for a playoff push and then to get out of that contract a year sooner. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. in Dallas is another one. But, yeah, I definitely endorse them moving those contracts to try to get, I mean, they need to get, even if it's just second round picks, they need anything that they can get. Um, yeah. I would hate to see Marvin Williams go just cause it's, like I said, he's such a likable dude. And I think he's really good to have around in the locker room for young guys and stuff. Got to do what you got to do. He's only, he's not going to be around after this year anyway. Do you feel like there's an identity to what the Hornets look for? I mean, it's hard without having a star. I guess you mm-hmm. just lost that in Kemba, but is there something of knowing what this team is going to be like, or is it just so raw right now that you have no clue? Like, is your identity just overpaying, overpaying players and drafting 24 <laughs> year olds? I mean, yeah. I, so actually I do think there is an identity though. And it's very, and this is kind of a, seems too easy because of the JJ, uh, um, James Borrego connection with the Spurs, but the team seems to be doing a Spursy type thing. With their draft picks. The draft picks are the only major acquisitions they've been able to make, so they're like the only indicator of what the team wants. But like I was saying earlier, every player the team has drafted in the last two drafts since the new front office came out uh, with Mitch Kupchak has been strong on both offense and defense. They can shoot the three, and they are above average passes for their position. So I, the team envisions a group of players where one through five, they can all move the ball, they all make good decisions with the ball, they can all defend their position. And they can all shoot. So, And I'm cool with that identity. It's just now we need players that are better at it. Right. I think that that's definitely an issue going forward for this team is, do you have the guy yet? Like, do you have a guy that can be your identity-forming centerpiece, your franchise mm. cornerstone? No. I am not convinced that they do. Um, no, I, not now. Not quite yet. I mean, I suppose that Bridges or Washington could make a jump that puts them in that conversation. But does it feel like for now that that guy's going to come to the draft? Does it feel like it's going to be James Wiseman or Anthony Edwards next year in the draft or something like that? Does it feel like it's it's still going to take some time? Yeah, I think that's the more likely thing. Like I said, I'm super high on Bridges and I do like P.J. Washington a lot. But both of them seem like really good complementary pieces. Yeah. Um, but they're not guys that are going to put a team on their shoulders and there's no, nobody's going to win anything in the NBA without that guy. I mean, but there are situations where you have 
a lot of nice complimentary players and maybe someone decides a like fringe star decides they want to be the guy somewhere and you're mm-hmm. all, you're able to throw some cash at them because there's a nice there's a nice situation around them like I think Jimmy Butler's kind of comparable where he went to a situation mm-hmm. that wasn't great in Miami but he wanted to be the guy so maybe mm-hmm. there's potential of that do you think that anybody is going to be taking a step back next year uh there's going to be a lot more opportunity and i would guess a lot more minutes thrown towards the young guys but is there Mm -hmm. anybody that you would project uh digressing a little bit um the only ones i can think of are the older guy i think marvin williams and nick batum i think marvin williams game ages well because all he does is shoots threes and plays as hard as he can on defense Nick Batum just seems to have totally lost all confidence in his game. I don't know if that will change next year when there's no pressure, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him come out and just suddenly be a better player again. He just seems like he's just here to ride out the last two years of that contract if the team can't get rid of him, and I can't imagine he's going to be anything, anybody useful, even even after being – and he was a fringe all-star his first couple years in Charlotte. So he'd probably be my pick as player to regress, or Cody Zeller if he keeps getting hurt. Yeah, that poor guy just can't stay on the court, it seems like. <laughs> no. And it's I always think, something different. You know, it's it's not I like kinda, one of those things where he's got like a bad knee or yeah, something. It's like he'll yeah. tear his meniscus and he breaks his hand and then he gets a concussion and then he sprains an ankle and then rough. his knee swells up again and it's just like... It's kind of tough because I don't hate what I see from him when he's on the court, you know, so that's, that's, a, that's a tough thing there. But, mm-hmm. you know, I we've talked about pretty much everyone on this list. I guess, you know, Brendan <laughs> asked about the the guys uh, taking steps back. I think we have covered the guys who were hope, hoping to take a step forward uh, it, with most of that young core. But being that we touched on pretty much everybody on the roster, it's probably <laughs> worth mentioning that there's only 12 players under contract right now. Does it seem like those last two spots are going to Cody Martin and Jalen McDaniels or does it feel like there's going to be another addition here? But I think the last so roster spot would be between, because the team likes to have 14 to start the season, which I think is pretty common, is between Jalen McDaniels and last year's second-round pick, Arnoldus Kulboka. Do you, know, do you guys know anything about him? I do not. Surface <laughs> level, that's it. So he, he can shoot, and he's a, like he's a good playmaker for his size. I don't know how good of a defender he is. I think he's fine but um he can really shoot it and the team values that obviously so he might get and he's not under contract in europe right now so i don't know the team probably has some sort of plan for him but i think the last roster spot is between him and mcdaniels but cody martin will be on the team for sure i can't i don't think you can draft a 24 year old so 36 overall and then sell it to your fan base that he's not ready yet so yeah. I think he kind of has to be on the team for the optics, if nothing else. I mean, if you have to be ready for a team, like you could be ready to play on this roster. Like the Vegas over under is 23 and a <laughs> half. And do you know, Rich, is that the lowest? It's the lowest I yeah, saw. It is the lowest. Yeah. And do you, would you project higher or lower? If, if you were a betting guy, would you go higher or lower on 23 and a half? Uh, that's a really low number. And I'm inclined to still say under. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, do you guys play 2K or do you know about 2K? Oh, yeah. This oh, whole yeah. off season was 2K. Yeah. 
2K is a great off-season simulator. Like when you're when there's no actual basketball on, and you just like pop it in. And you're like, let's see what next year is gonna look like. Yeah. But uh, the Hornets' best player on 2K right now is Cody Zeller, and I think he's like a 78 overall. And that's I'm pretty really sure great. every, I think pretty much every other team in the NBA has one player that's like an 84, 85. So that, and then I know that's not real life, but that's just kind of like in perspective of how little star like star powers on this roster i don't know like, i don't know how they win games next year like they obviously will win but i don't know like the formula for hornets wins like does terry rozier have to score 35 for the hornets to win or because that doesn't sound like a recipe for success and like miles bridges is not a 20 point per game score or anything like that so i just yeah. don't know where they find wins I mean, I will say, like, I'm a Celtics fan at the same time as the Kings, and Mm -hmm. hopefully that's not upsetting after taking Kemba. (laughs) But, Uh, like, (laughs) Terry... You're going to love him. Oh, I'm sure. And Terry was really entertaining. Last year was frustrating, but honestly, everybody on that Celtics team last year was frustrating at times Mm -hmm. because everybody just felt like when they had the ball, they needed to shoot it. They weren't going to be able to touch it again. And Terry had that a little Mm -hmm. bit more. He was probably the worst case but he is entertaining to watch. Like I got my scary Terry shirt. Maybe it was overreaction to, to a playoff run, but he, he plays good defense. You'll see him pick up full court. And I don't think the percentages are going to get better because he will have a lot of opportunity. But I think that Terry Rozier is an entertaining player to watch. Well, that's all we can hope for right now. I don't, yeah. Mitch Kupchak actually said that he had like a conference call with the media after the, all the moves were official and stuff. And somebody asked him about playoffs and stuff. And what he said was like, the goal for this team is to be entertaining and sustained (laughs) moving forward. And whenever someone, whenever a front office puts entertaining as the first, like first objective of a team, you it's, they're saying, yeah, we're going to be bad. So we just have to hope for entertainment. I almost like, I almost am scared of that because it (laughs) suggests that maybe they will, Oh man, maybe they're gonna try too hard to win. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you where you get the feeling like just like lean into being bad, just like <laughs> really trade away, you know, everything that you can, really stock up on draft assets. You know, speaking of 2K, that's like generally what I do on 2K. I, I, yeah. I have a weird, uh, I have a weird obsession with bad teams, so I'll probably be watching a lot of Hornets this season for for whatever reason. Something's wrong with me. I, I hate watching Golden State play. Uh, you know, it's that sort of a thing where I just want to see bad teams. I want to see the players that are getting their first opportunity to play. But mm-hmm. yeah, it just feels like it, it feels like there's a really dangerous area where if you try to just sell tickets and and put a good product on the floor, when you know that that product cannot compete, that it can get you in a dangerous place where you end up with the eighth or ninth pick or you know, even if it's fifth or sixth, when this team's when this team pretty much needs a number one or number two pick type of talent to be added to it, it are you worried at all that they won't lean enough into a rebuild here? I'm not as much anymore. I was definitely very worried about that when it was like Kimball Walker's going to Charlotte and the Hornets are getting Terry Rozier back. And that was like we've talked about a couple times, like, oh, what are you doing? That's not what we need to do. But the comments that I've seen from Mitch Kupchak and other like other places from the team make me a little more optimistic that they know what they're doing or that they they're prepared to be bad. Um, like I said, the quote about being entertaining. Um, 
something came out. There was a report about the negotiations with Walker where the team wasn't willing to go as high as he wanted because they didn't see themselves as a significant playoff team with Kimball Walker, so they didn't want to go too high, which is frustrating, but then at the same time, it's nice to see some realistic self-evaluation. So seeing those things makes me a little more hopeful that they won't rush into something stupid. But that was definitely a major concern, like I said, early on in the summer. Because that's been the MO of this team ever since Jordan took over, really. It's just like cobble together whatever you can to be as good as you can, even if as good as you can be is 45 wins in the seven seed. Yeah, I guess the last question that I've been throwing out there to each of our guests is to project a little bit further down the road. And Charlotte is a team that has a lot of contracts coming off the books in Mm -hmm. the next, you know, a lot next year and then a few more even the year after that, especially that Mm -hmm. Batum contract. That's almost going to be like a max slot just with Batum, Batum off. But, you know, looking forward, you've got some young guys, you know, maybe not, maybe not that super elite group of young guys but also should have a max slot if the team wants to pursue it definitely will have tons of space the following season so you know projecting and it might be really hard to do with the team like the Hornets but projecting two to three to four years down the road what is how would you forecast this team um if it were me it would be team's gonna be bad next year and I wouldn't really sign any free agents other than you know like G League guys that you think might be diamonds in the rough type of thing and just run it back for another bad season. And then, like you said, in a couple of years when Batum and Cody come off, just kind of, that's a good point to reevaluate what you have. You know, and if young guys are ahead of schedule, you can maybe try to push for like a big splash signing. Um, and if they're not, then you can use that space to take other teams trash and get more draft assets. And that's just kind of, I think the plan for the next couple of years is just at the end of each season, kind of do that to see where you are and go from there but expect to be bad for at least two seasons after yeah. this one and next one at the very best case scenario yeah and that's i mean that's the best path to improvement really with the situation you're in you gotta hope that you're getting some of these high draft picks and maybe guys that it's just so obvious that you should take them that way there's no chance <laughs> that you possibly pass on them yeah get like a zion situation yeah where, exactly yeah That'd be, that, would, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. But do, Sac- if, if, Sacramento got their fox, and that was the guy that set the identity, and everything kind of formed around there, you know? So, I mean, yeah. they also did trade away their superstar and got something back for it. I feel <laughs> terrible. I feel like I'm, like, throwing shots yeah, at helps. you this whole no, no, time. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> no, it's not that at all. I mean, I didn't make the decision, so you're not criticizing me. You know, I'm just, I'm just yeah. an observer like you guys, so... I don't, I don't, I'll take it personal. They yeah. made it. The Hornets done a lot of bad stuff. That's why we're at where we are. So I'll say that the, as far as what the team will have on the roster a few years down the road, it feels okay. I mean, the Razier contract does have a third year, and I'm not in love with that. But you know, having PJ and Miles on the books, that's that's about all you're going to have, plus whatever picks go, uh, you know, in the next couple of years. But yeah. I like that PJ and Miles. They're both kind of like three fours, like big forwards, and you can kind of – that's not going to restrict who you're able to draft because you can't have too many guys that size. And there's not like you've got a point guard that's – I guess you maybe do now in Razier that's that's just good enough to start but not, you know, not good enough to take you to where you need to go. But, you know, you guys can add a center. Uh, you know, there James Wiseman is a guy who's a seven-footer who 
you know, might be the prize of next year's draft. And mm-hmm. there's always going to be, you know, game changing guards out there as well. So it feels like there's vacancies in the right places going forward, at least. Yeah. Like, yeah, Bridges and Washington fit really, really well together. They have very similar skill sets to an extent. But then, you know, like you said, if we draft Wiseman, draft a center, you can play Bridges, Washington, Wiseman, three, four, five. If you draft a wing like Anthony Edwards, then you can play like Edwards, Bridges, Washington, three, four, five. Like there's plenty of room to move, maneuver them around. And I think that's the point of drafting the versatile players like they have. Yeah. Like even if Cody Martin, who's the second round pick, if he actually if he turns into anything, he can play like one through three. Yeah. And so it there's plenty of room to kind of fit new pieces in wherever they can. They don't have to be like we need a superstar but we also only have room for a point guard so we have to just hope the best point guard available is gonna be a good one yeah and i think that there's obviously plus sign i mean the guy will be able to fit with these other players but you're in no situation where it's like you know you're not taking the best player because he's a three or a four because you have both of (laughs) these guys like it's definitely best player available um Mm -hmm. the last question that we usually leave for people is we're curious to get, uh, we're talking to a lot of different people from different teams, a little bit of an outsider perspective on how you feel Sacramento is progressing and really just to feel the perception around the league of what's going on with the Kings. Uh, I'm rooting for you guys. Um, you, how long has it been since the Kings have been in the playoffs? And not to throw, I'm throwing shots back at you because it's, it's fair. fair. It's fair. <laughs> it's fair. 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. So like, I'm rooting for the Kings to do well. It's always nice to see different faces in there um i thought this offseason was a little interesting i thought like each of the individual acquisitions like ariza and deadman and who else did the king sign at center Corey joseph was the Corey other joseph. point guard yeah yeah i like i like all of them but did they sign another center other than Deadman? yes or was it holmes, sean sorry. Holmes. yeah sean holmes yeah i like both of those players i don't know why you need why the kings need both of them i guess collie sign's gone but um, I don't know. I like where the Kings are going. I think they have a chance to make the playoffs. The West is really tough, but I'll definitely be rooting for them. Um, I really like Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox. Do, do, what are you guys' thoughts on, like, on Buddy Heald? Because I know uh, the owner was like all aboard getting Buddy, right? Man, we love him, and we're actually you've created a great segue for us <laughs> because uh, we are giving away a Buddy Heald jersey as part of a. Uh, oh, nice. A celebration of hitting the twenty-four thousand streams mark. So mm-hmm. we can uh, uh, we can talk about that a little bit. But before we do that, let's make sure we uh, plug your stuff. Is there uh, where you know? Obviously, we can read your stuff at the Hive. Uh, but where else can the people follow you on Twitter? Where else can they read your work? So, you could, oh yeah, all my stuff's on at the Hive. There's you'll see my name all over the place. We have a podcast on at the Hive. If for some reason you want to hear uh, me and Zach Brown talk about the Hornets. Um, not that Zach Brown. So yeah, and I think we're pretty entertaining. So if you like this show and you want to hear more stuff about the Hornets, you can listen to us there. Um, I'm on Twitter at John DeLong 42, and it's John with no H, so at J O N D E L O N G 42. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's the places to find me. Yeah, we got another hint for you guys. Um, we are doing the. There's three questions that are going to be in the tweet. In uh, the first person to respond is going to get that Buddy Hilo jersey. Uh, we gave the first hint in last the last episode, so go listen to that if you haven't. The hint for today is that it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be a recent record broken by 
the guy himself, Buddy Healed. So go check out the numbers on him. You probably know which record I'm referring to, but make sure you got the numbers down, Pat, because uh, we're going to be asking for a numerical answer referring to one of Buddy Heald's uh, record-breaking marks. But aside from that, just wanted to thank you. Uh, thank you again, Jonathan, for coming on. We really appreciate you. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I enjoyed this. Yep, thank you. I'm sure we'll be in contact. We'll throw some Charlotte questions your way throughout the year. But mm-hmm. thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in a couple days. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.